The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for the Birmingham Bowl edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, the sports columnist here at the Commercial Appeal. I'm joined by Evan Barnes, our football beat writer, and Jason Munns, our producer, back from the uh, palatial uh, palaces of Wichita. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, we are days away from Birmingham. Evan, you're about to leave and drive down there. Um, Wake Forest, Memphis, for all the marbles. And by marbles, I mean um, a ninth win for Memphis and a seventh win for Wake Forest. Um, all the marbles in Birmingham, huh? Yeah. All the meaningless bowl gifts. You can, I, <laughs> it, it was funny. I don't know. Did you see the bowl gifts for Birmingham? It, I was no. very underwhelmed. It was not that good. Very no. underwhelmed. No, I have bowl gifts. It was like a, a watch. Yeah, so it's a backpack or sunglasses, a cooling hoodie, and a football. A football, oh, a football. Yeah, that's what those that's one guys thing. Needed. Yeah, the one that's thing that every football player wants more of. Yeah, like um, like they don't have footballs in their house or apartment or whatever. Yeah. Well, Evan, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand over to you. Tell us a little bit about Wake Forest. What do you think is gonna decide this game? What you know, in all seriousness, because you know we were just talking to Mike Norvell earlier today, and and you know I asked him what's the difference between going. Nine and five, or going eight and six this year, and he, you know, at first he, you know, cracked a joke and said one game, but also said, um, you know, winning nine games and that therefore averaging nine wins over his first three years here at Memphis would be a significant achievement for the program. It'd go down, in his opinion, as one of the best seasons in program history, and he, I would say, he's probably right. You win a division title, and you know, it's not as good as last year, but. You know, certainly it probably ranks among the top five or ten seasons in Memphis football history, especially if you pull this win out. Um, so give us a little, like how, you know, give people a preview of what should they expect from Wake Forest and, and what do you think Memphis needs to do to beat Wake Forest? All right, so let's go back to Wake Forest being 6-6. Six and six. So they had to win two of their last three games to become bowl eligible. And of those, those two games were road wins against bowl eligible teams. They upset North Carolina State, which you might not think North Carolina State is great, but they're a nine-win team. They are at, in a bowl game. They beat them on the road with a backup quarterback making his first start who led them on a game-winning drive, and that quarterback's name is Jamie Newman. We'll have more on him in a minute. But they did that. Then after they lost to Pitt, they had to beat Duke on the road to become bowl eligible in their season finale. And in that game, they just destroyed Duke. They just blasted them out. I think the score was 59-7. to and they put up 517 yards of offense on them. So this Wake Forest team, the record aside, you know, they have potential to be a pretty good offensive team. Um, yeah, they lost to Clemson and Notre Dame, but who who hasn't lost to them? I mean, they, they're that good. But I think this Wake Forest team is a little bit more deceptive than what their record looks like. They have an All-American in Greg Dorch, who is an exceptional punt returner, led the team in receiving. He's five foot nine. He's kind of a Swiss Army knife kind of guy. Um Questionable because he has a finger injury. They said he hasn't practiced up to this point, but I would not be surprised if he plays because, duh, he's probably going to play if he's healthy. But um, this Wake Forest team looks pretty good, pretty solid. I mean, granted, in the ACC, they were one of the bottom teams, but as people like to point out, a lower-level Power 5 team is still better than most 
group of five team. So it'll be interesting kind of how Memphis handles this offense. They're facing a backup quarterback for the third straight uh, game. So putting pressure on him, making him uncomfortable is important. But he's played well. Jamie Newman played well in those two games. Um, like I said, against um, North Carolina State in his first start on the road, he had 297 yards, three TDs, no picks. In that season finale against Duke, 18-23, 177 yards, four touchdowns. So he's someone who can make plays. So he's not someone who's just going to be out there just trying to hang the ball off keep moving. He can make some plays. So it'll be interesting for this Memphis defense how they try to um, adjust. Will it be like facing Houston where Clayton Toon looked awful and then finally they got a pick? Or will it be like Daryl Mack where for a half they had him in check and then he just started teeing off and just scoring at will with this UCF offense? So I'll be curious how this Memphis defense faces um, the Wake Forest offense. Evan, you've been at practice, so I'm, I'm going to say something and I want to hear what your thoughts are on it. I worry about focus and motivation for this Memphis football team because you've got an offense whose coordinator is now at Auburn. I know Mike is, you know, the guy calling the plays, but I think in preparation, Kenny Dillingham did a lot. And Mike is having to fill some hats that he normally wouldn't. And Will Hall's gone too, another experienced guy in terms of years of experience on that offensive staff. And then you've got a defensive coordinator who is sticking around for this game, but is now the head coach of a program in Arizona. And inevitably, he's probably splitting it best to me. 50% of his focus is on Memphis and 50 is on Northern Arizona. And ultimately, you know, I wonder if it's even 50-50 because you're going to take over as the head coach at another program. And so you have to focus on that too. And then you've got the fact that when you, when it comes down to it, I mean, does it really matter if they win this? Like, I, I feel like we've already, you know, like if they win this game, yes, they beat Wake Forest, but it's like, you know, they beat Wake Forest. If they lose the game, it's like, you know what? They they made the AC championship game. Like, yeah, it would be a bummer, I guess, to end the year on a loss. And Mike Norvell hasn't won a bowl game yet. But like, if he doesn't win a bowl game this year, is it really going to change our feelings about Mike Norvell? I don't think so. I think we view him pretty favorably considering what he's done here at Memphis. So you've been at the practices, you've seen the players. I mean, do do you agree with me? Like, I just feel like motivation, usually in these bowl games, especially lower tier bowl games, it's the team that's more motivated wins the game. It's not necessarily a talent thing. Do you sense motivation could be an issue for Memphis or its coaching staff? I don't think so as much, and it's maybe because the guys want to win for Chris Ball or because they haven't won a bowl game. I know Drew Kaiser even said earlier this season that he had been wanting to win a bowl game all year. That was his goal. He wanted to not just get back but win one. So I get the sense that they really want to win a bowl game because it's been four years since they've won one. Um, most of these guys, I think only maybe Dylan Kraft, Jackson Lynn Sam Kraft, are the only ones who've tasted bowl victory. So I think they want to win one. The question now is, like you said, how is that going to work with, you know, Dillingham and Ball? I think the defensive guys, they were embarrassed by how they played against UCF. So I think the motivation is we don't want the last memory of Chris Ball to be getting lit up by Orlando in Orlando and against Wake Forest. Um, so I think there's motivation on the defensive side. Offensively, I think, you know, you know, Brady White told us that, you know, basically with with Mike running quarterbacks, it's almost the same thing he had at Arizona State when um, Norvell was his OC. So there's no drop off there. I think it's just a matter of, you know, Mike's more involved with the quarterbacks. You know, he's more hands-on with kind of the way the offense is run. But I don't think that there's a lack of, of motivation at this point. I think now 
the main goal now on their list is they have to win a bowl game. That's something Mike hasn't done. That's something these guys haven't tasted. So I think that's probably driving them. But I understand your point. I mean, let's face it. You're facing Wake Forest. You're not facing, say, Virginia Tech or somebody else that people were projecting. So I think that may be a concern, but I don't think it'll affect them this game. When it speaks to where the program is now, that like I think Memphis football is at a point where I just don't think they're going to get that much juice nationally from beating Wake Forest. They're kind of, even though Wake Forest is in a better league, certainly over the past five years, they're at least on level footing with Wake Forest. Um, and that speaks to where the program is now compared to five years ago. Um, and, and in the same regard, I don't think losing this game, you know, I think Memphis football has a reputation now and has sort of built a brand where one loss is not going to change how people feel about this program. And one win, you know, against a team like Wake Forest isn't going to change it. So I think it's a, it's an interesting dynamic going into this one um, that I'm in. I, I want to see how I'm curious how it is, how I, how it plays out because, you know, obviously Daryl Henderson's not playing in this game. Mike mentioned today, there's several players that are still hurt that are questionable to play. And, I think you noted Emmanuel Cooper and TJ Carter both haven't been practicing. Right. Um, so those are two names to watch. We'll see. It'll be interesting if they uh, play in the in the bowl game. Um, I'm I'm fascinated just to see how Memphis comes out. But ultimately, I just don't think the result matters that much. I don't know. What, I mean, Jason, you've covered some of these bowl these minor bowl games. I mean, do you think a win or a loss really changes anything? For this program, I think really the probably the 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 biggest thing in my mind as it pertains to Memphis, um, and and you know wins and losses in in this bowl game, it's got more to do for me. Just that they haven't won a bowl game since 2014, and and I mean as as insignificant as a lot of these bowl games have become for you know people outside the respective programs, locker rooms, um, that's still something that, you know, when you're on a streak like that, that can still be something that people use against you, say, in recruiting, uh, potentially. Um, you know, but I think anymore, I think as as the college football landscape evolves, I think bowl games, especially of, of this caliber, uh, I kind of – think that teams are kind of starting to use it as more of a jumping off point toward next season in a way, like, especially when you get these kids who like Daryl Henderson and these guys who, who back out of playing, you know, or even the guys like a TJ Carter who might have a minor injury where if it was any other game that that actually meant something to their conference title hopes or, or, you know, stuff like that, they, they would probably play in it. Uh, I just I'm, I'm kind of starting to feel like these postseason games are feeling a lot more preseason ahead of next ahead of next year. Like you're probably going to see a lot of guys who are going to be who haven't necessarily been, played a ton of meaningful snaps this year that are next year. I feel like that's what these these lower bowl games, lower level bowl games, are becoming. Is is the sort of audition. Speaking of which, Evan, I was going to ask you: Has Mike mentioned? Are there going to be any guys who? You know, have any freshmen who have a game left in terms of redshirting, or uh, 
any guys who haven't been playing a lot lately that you expect to have bigger roles in this game? Yeah, we asked him about that on Sunday, and he said that he's probably going to go with his best his best players. He doesn't foresee anybody getting any time, so don't expect to see Brady McBride. Uh, Kenny Game was all he had his four already played in his four games and redshirted. So I wouldn't I wouldn't expect to see any uh, surprises on that regard. But that is a good point because I know that's something that Mike had talked about maybe possibly playing. But he said that at this point he's going with his best guys. Yeah, what I was kind of elaborating a little bit is say for instance Kenny Gainwell had only played in three games. You might see a lot more of him. But then at the same time, is Patrick Taylor's a senior? Junior. Junior. Okay. So so that goes to my point. Like he's not somebody who. You know, Patrick Taylor is not somebody who who is necessarily owed a swan song or a curtain call right. type of deal. Brady White's the same way. Right. But as you mentioned, you know, in the in the first couple of years of this new red shirt rule, you know, say say like I said, say Kenny Gainwell's only played in two or three games, then you might see a lot more of him in a in a situation like this than you normally would have in the past. Mm-hmm. Um but again, you know, it won't be it won't be Kenny Gainwell. Right, and we thought that Laundre Thomas might be someone who could play in the bowl game because that's something that Mike told us. But Laundre played against Houston, and that's his fourth game, and he's had a setback. So it was something he was thinking about at least that he wanted to do it. But I guess now it's a matter of go with your best players to try to get the win. Yeah. But I'm surprised too because also thinking like a lot more players are skipping the bowl games now. We just saw that um you know Daryl's obviously skipping it. And Stan- what do you think about that move? You you okay with it? I am all for it. Like not to sound like Norvell, but I've I've been pro player most of my most of my career, and I think that hey, you're a running back, you have a limited shelf life, go get paid. That's just simple. Like go save your body, go prepare for the draft, and uh, get ready for that combine, which we think we're all excited to see. But I don't have a problem with it. I just don't know how he would. I don't think he would like say he ran for 250 yards against Wake Forest. I don't know if that would really help his draft stock a lot. Yeah, I don't. I don't. See Whereas, him. if he tore his ACL, he might not get drafted. Yeah, you know, I don't see him doing anything in the Birmingham Bowl against Wake Forest being the difference in him being a third rounder and a first rounder. Right, and we already saw what he did against UCF in two nationally televised games in the first half. I mean, if that's not enough, besides what else he's done, I mean, come on. Yeah, the risk is way more than the re- potential reward. The potential risk. Really, the, the the only if I was him, the only reason I would be thinking about doing it would be to break D'Angelo Williams' record. It right. have it right. had nothing to do with draft stock, and you know, ultimately, you know, I still don't think that's enough to risk tearing your ACL in this right. game. I think he was what fifty fifty six or fifty four yards away. So, I mean, it probably was a goal. He'd go down as the greatest, had the greatest rushing season in Memphis history. But you know, I'll be all right with him having the greatest all purpose season in Memphis history. Yeah. Um, I mean, in a way, it, it's obviously we know why he's not playing. He's not playing because he doesn't want to risk um, his future. He doesn't want to mm-hmm. damage his his uh, prospects going forward. But if he if say he were to play, and and that was the reason why, um, you might kind of look at him and say, well, that's kind of a selfish reason to to want to play in a quote-unquote meaningless bowl game you know and and he might draw a little heat from that and the fact that he's not you know he's not standing up and say hey i want to be the greatest ever you know single season whatever whatever then that kind of i don't know that's that's a point for him in my book is that he's he's yes he's being selfish (laughs) for not playing in the game because he's looking out for his own best future but uh 
But anyway, selfish I, isn't the right word. Yeah, he's, right. He's, he's being, being practical. But he's being practical. I don't even think selfish is a bad thing. Like at, at the end of the day, aren't we all selfish for what we're trying to do? If we're trying to get somewhere, like aren't we all a little bit concerned with ourselves? Yeah, just I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking out for your for your own no. best interest. And I think what from what Daryl's done the last three seasons, I think every and I've seen it on social media and people have you know responded to my stories about him. Everyone's appreciative of what he's done, and he knows what he's done. The fans appreciate him. I think I looked up, he's the NCAA's leader in yards per carry since 1956. I think he has 8.2, I think. So he's he's set in stone what he's done. All you can do now is say, hey, good luck in the pros. Thank you. And Patrick Taylor, come bring it. Yeah, this is a good chance for Patrick Taylor. I mean, he's a guy who's going to be the feature back next year. I think he could have a really big year next year because he's, he's a different type of runner than Daryl. But I think... Just like Daryl's going to play in the NFL, I wouldn't be shocked if Patrick Taylor plays in the NFL. He's got the right size. Um, yeah, yeah, he could get a shot. And and I mean, heck, he had a big year this year, did he, he not? He, he quiet, had over a thousand yeah, yards. Quiet, yeah, quiet, I mean, quietly put up a thousand yards. I he mean, had a good year last year too. Yeah, he's a good. He's a good yeah, running he, back. He may end up being. He may pass Daryl in like total rushing touchdowns. It's behind uh, D'Angelo, I think. So if he keeps it up, so it'll be fun to see what he does and Pollard as well, Tony Pollard, but. I think people will be surprised with what Patrick Taylor brings because they already saw it against Missouri. Like he had to step in, he ran for a hundred yards. I think it was the first hundred yard rusher Missouri had allowed in almost a year. So next man up, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd be remiss if we, I mean tomorrow is early signing day for college football. Um, the early signing period. Early signing period. Yeah, <laughs> it's like three days of three start days. of the early signing. period. And and Memphis had a very big recruiting weekend this past weekend, correct, Evan? They did. They got three guys who committed on Sunday. Um, uh, former Auburn transfer John Broussard Jr., who's a defensive back. He spent two years at Auburn. He announced his commitment. Um, Todd Washington, a three-star receiver from Texas, also committed. And then, unexpectedly, Gabe Rogers, who is, I think you just saw he's a three-star DB on Rivals, um, he also committed. So three in one day, that's a pretty... Big haul, considering that the t- that Mike Norvell always talked about how the AAC championship we cost them a week of recruiting and they had to play catch up and they had to bring guys in. They couldn't get out to as many people as they wanted. So to get those three guys in one day, right before signing day, I think it's pretty pretty good. Yeah, and and Mike said today they expect to sign fourteen to sixteen guys, mm-hmm. and they they might they're going to have four to six early enrollees this year. Yes. Um. So that's it. Sounds like it's a pretty good class. I mean, how would you evaluate? You know, on the surface, obviously, it's hard. You know, these recruiting classes, you really shouldn't evaluate them for two or three years. Ultimately, you know, to see who's actually emerged as a contributor, a starter, and so forth, um, who's outperformed their quote unquote ranking. But based on the rankings, based on what you've sort of seen on the surface, how would you evaluate this class that Mike is bringing in? I think this class is going to be really, really good. I mean, they emphasized to us that they wanted to get more alignment and wanted to get more defensive backs. And just from looking at this class, they're getting at least three defensive backs for sure. And then maybe they may convert some people, but I think they've done some good jobs. Um, DB coach TG rushing talked to us about how much they just didn't have, you know, enough scholarship bodies at that position. So now they got guys who can come in and step in right away. They got some pretty good linebackers that are highly regarded. I'm um, Cole Mashburn. I think we talked about him last week, but he's the younger brother of freshman linebacker, Cade Mashburn. He's, I highly regard he's the top recruit in this class, and people expect him to kind of come in and try to contribute right away. Um, one, one of the things I'm really excited about from this class is they did a good job trying to get Nashville. I know um, Ryan Silverfield talked to us about how Nashville, when they got there, people thought Memphis didn't recruit Nashville. They didn't have anyone in their class from in their roster from Nashville. 
he made that a priority in the course. We know two years ago they got T.J. Carter and Obina Easy. This class has three guys from Nashville. So they're doing a good job of expanding Memphis's reach into Nashville. And so we'll see kind of how that turns out. Um, but this class looks like it'll be pretty good. Again, it's too early to say. Um, it's hard to say who might be an immediate contributor. I think that Broussard kid might be someone to watch for. Just two years of eligibility? Two years of eligibility. Because he left this season, went to a community college to get his degree. He'll be immediately eligible. So he has two years left. So he can come in and immediately compete for that second DB job or cornerback job outside of a TJ Carter. Mike's done a really good job mining sort of those cast off cast offs from like power five school. I mean, DeMonte Coxey was a guy who was signed to LSU and now he's obviously Memphis's best wide receiver. Carlito Gonzalez was with Auburn and, and now he's, you know, I think next year we might see him as a contributor. Um, Josh Perry was, I think, committed to Alabama at one point and ended up coming here. Um, Jonathan Cook, starter on the defensive, excuse me, right? No, Jonathan Wilson, I'm sorry. Jonathan Cook played last year in the defense back. He was also a guy who transferred from Alabama. But Jonathan Wilson was a blue shirt who had signed with Tulane originally, and now he's a big contributor. He's done a really nice job since he's been here. Uh, effectively sort of bringing in those guys who maybe weren't wanted or fell through the cracks at bigger schools and turn not only not only just added them but turned them into contributors and uh, put them on the right path uh, the path sort of envisioned for them when they were leaving high school and so um, I think that's something that's really notable in his recruiting um, not just recruiting high school kids he's they've just done a good job of taking advantage of situations um, for the good of the program and ultimately for the good of these recruits who fell through the cracks a little bit at other schools. So, and Gabe Rogers is um, the Jones Jones County. He is in the same same school as another commit, Wardellis Ducksworth. I believe right. he plays linebacker. Yep, head coach there, Steve Buckley, actually used to coach at Olive Branch. The best uh, Ducksworth Ducksworth since Kevin Ducksworth. Or is Kevin, that Duckworthy? Kevin Duckworth. Duckworthy. <laughs> Rest in peace. Oh, he's dead. Yes. Oh man, breaking. <laughs> well, it'll be uh it'll be a fun week in Birmingham for Evan. He'll be down there chronicling all the action. I want to say he might be the only Memphis area reporter down there for the entire time Memphis is down there. So he'll make us to, proud. Yeah. Stay tuned. It'll be fun. I'll find something to do out there, I guess. From from talking <laughs> to some fans, don't get lost in the wrong part of town. Trust um, me, I'm 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 well aware of watching my back in certain southern states. That's yeah. part that's just part of my growing up experience. <laughs> Okay. Well, um, it should be fun down in. Uh, hopefully, the game is fun. It's. A, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game against Wake Forest, and uh, it should be fun. Hopefully, the Tigers can beat a Power Five team. You know, we didn't talk about this, but I think it is. You know, we talked about the meaning of this. I think it's honestly, it's more important for the league that Memphis wins this game than it is for oh, yeah. Memphis to win this game, yeah. just because you know the league purposely matches up their best teams again in the bowls where there's power five opponents. And so now you got to bolster that power six argument for sure. <laughs> I don't know if something tells me a Memphis win over wake force is not going to make or break um, well, the power six designation, but it's something you can, it's be, a win it, over a power five. It's better to put it in the win column. Yeah. Than yeah. The loss yeah. Column. yeah. yeah. It exactly. certainly doesn't help your case if you lose. Yeah, exactly. So We'll see what happens, but I'm excited about Birmingham. 11 o'clock on ESPN. Y'all stay tuned and enjoy. And, on Saturday. Uh, yeah, it'll be fun. Me and Munz will be down there for the game. Um, and so With bells on, Christmas bells on. Maybe. 
<laughs> we'll see about that. Maybe. Well, um, we will be back. We'll probably come back next week um, and break it all down, look ahead to the off season, and, uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe something crazy will happen in Birmingham. Um, like a win. That's not going to be crazy. I, I can see Memphis <laughs> winning. Um, well, they haven't won in four years, so maybe it'll be a Christmas miracle that they leave Birmingham with something besides gifts. Besides some footballs. <laughs> footballs. <laughs> exactly. Some, some souvenir footballs. Well, until next week, I was Mark. I was joined by Evan and Jason. Thanks so much, and uh, enjoy Birmingham. Merry Christmas. A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.